0: I wonder if you truly know that with all your heart, that we're set free by Christ, that a ransom has been paid. That's what a ransom is, isn't it? It's something that sets someone free. And if we know that with all our hearts, we're truly free indeed in the Lord Jesus. It's good to be here with you tonight. And I'm going to read to you from Luke 7, 1 to 10. I'm reading from the ESV. I don't know if that's on there, Ian. No, I do apologise. Um, but It's similar. And um, following the theme which Pastor Phil gave of uh, looking at people who encountered Jesus. And tonight we're going to think about a a Roman centurion who encountered Jesus. And it's Luke 7, 1 to 10. And it says this. After he'd finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. The centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servants. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Let's just pray. Father, we do pray that you'll give us ears to hear what you want to say from your word tonight. And I pray, Lord, there'll be something there for each one of us. And, and Lord, you will just encourage us and challenge us and to have a, a deeper love for you as we as we look at some of the things said here in this passage. So Lord, help us, we pray. Come by your spirit and minister to us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It is good to be here tonight, to be home. Um, on Friday, I was in Ipswich. I've never been to Ipswich before. Uh, I managed to get a cheap train, which goes from Leeds to Peterborough, and then Peterborough across to Ipswich, which was great because it's a heck of a drive trying to get to Norwich and Ipswich area. And so um, I went along. I was picked up at the station by a guy I didn't know, and he didn't really know me. I think his wife gave him a picture of me from somewhere. Shrine uh, watch or something. And, um, but he came over and said, are you Tony? I said, yeah, he's soft. You know. I've got the car over here. As soon as I got to the house... I walked in, went into the kitchen. There was a meal there ready for me. I thought, this is this, what a life this is. It was a Mauritian curry. Um, it was great, yeah. She, she'd asked me on email beforehand if I like curry. I said, I'm from Bradford. <laughs> you know, is the Pope Catholic. And, um, and so this, this meal and everything. And we were sat talking over this meal. And then I spoke at uh, a meeting in the evening. And I said, so how come you got in touch me to invite me to come along? And she said, you were commended to us. It's nice to be commended, isn't it, by people. Every now and then I get a phone call. It's becoming more regular, actually. Somebody will phone me up and say, Oh, yeah, Roger Carswell commended you to us. I never know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I usually think it's something Roger can't do, so he's trying to offload it onto me. But it's great to be commended by others. But how much better is it to be commended by the Lord Jesus Christ? And in this story here, we find someone who's commended uh, by the Lord Jesus. Only twice in the Gospels do we find Jesus commending someone for their great faith. Uh, one is a Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. Uh, you may remember the story. She came to Jesus and asked him to heal her son. And he said, no, I've come to the house of Israel. And she said something along the lines of, well, you know, even the crumbs that fall from the master's table, the dogs eat. And he commends her for his faith and he heals her son. And so there's a a commendation there of her great faith. And the second one is in our passage tonight. It's the centurion who's commended for his great faith as well. And it's interesting in uh, these examples that one was a woman and one was a man. And both of them were Gentiles. uh, Gentiles and non-Jewish people. And it's interesting that the ones that are commending for their great faith are not Jews, it is the Gentiles, and one a man and one a woman. And that tells us something very clear. Um, right at the off here, is there's no barrier to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus is good news for everyone. Um, I heard someone say this, which impressed me. Said, good news. Your know, news is N-E-W-S. And it's good news for everyone, N is north, E is east, W is west, and S is south. So that's a good way of remembering it. It's good news for everyone all around the world. And so anyone can come to the Lord Jesus by faith. And that's proven in our text tonight with this Roman centurion. Now we're told that this centurion was based in Capernaum. And it's interesting that Capernaum is a a place condemned by Jesus in Luke 10, 15 as having a distinct lack of faith. So Jesus uh, further on in Luke 10 is saying, Capernaum, lack of faith, war to you. You know, all this kind of stuff. But here we find a Gentile in Capernaum who has faith. And I think, again, something we can maybe um, pick out of that is that As we live this life and we try to have faith in the Lord Jesus, we're living in a time where people are lacking faith in in the Lord Jesus or don't have faith in him. The city we live in lacks faith in the Lord Jesus. Then maybe the people that we work with on a daily basis may not have any faith in the Lord Jesus, but they are not to affect us. And we find in this Roman centurion he has faith in a place where Jesus says there is no faith. And for us... We are to have faith even though around us and the world around us are saying it's nonsense. Even though they don't have faith, we have faith. And the the idea being that we influence them rather than they influence us. You know, when Jesus spoke about we're to be in the world but not of the world, the idea is that we share our faith with those around us. So this centurion has faith. We know the centurion, as the name suggests, um, would be a person in charge of a uh, hundred men. He, he was a man with authority, but also a man under authority. He mentions that in verse 8. And such was his position that he had a servant, whom and this servant was highly valued by him, but the servant was sick and at the point of death. But then it says, but he heard about Jesus. He heard about Jesus. I wonder what he heard about Jesus I wonder what people around us hear about Jesus and know about Jesus because of us I wonder what they see in us and what we communicate of Jesus to them he says he heard about Jesus and the fact his servant was healed and he was going to send some Jewish elders to Jesus uh, that Jesus might heal his servant suggests the thing he heard about Jesus was that Jesus was a person that healed People got healed when they met Jesus. Uh, this week I, I, I've met uh, three different people, different places, one in Ipswich, one in Bradford, one in Cleck Eaton, And all three of them told me a story of healing. And, it was just re- and one really current and recent. And it just reminded me again that we have a God that heals. And it's not about you know s- s- seeing that all the time, because we don't see that all the time. I wish we did. You know, I wish every week someone in somebody's own mission could get up and testify to a healing and and do that. Uh, But we know the Bible tells us and we believe the word of God that Jesus healed people. And this centurion had heard this about Jesus, perhaps, and he had faith in this Jesus that he could heal. Uh, Do we have faith in the same Jesus that he can heal, that he can change situations, that he can change lives? He's the God that brings life to people. Do we truly believe that? Uh, This centurion clearly did. He went to these Jewish elders and he said to them, will you please go to Jesus for me? That seems a bit of a strange request, that a Roman centurion, a Gentile, would go to the Jewish elders and say, go to this man Jesus for us. But that's what he did, and later on we find out why. But it does seem strange that these uh, Jewish elders would want to do that for him anyway. You would imagine, you know, the, the, the occupying force who's oppressing you in your nation. You know, you don't really want to be friends with those guys. And what we seem to know about Romans, uh, they're quite ruthless. And, uh, you know, you think they'd be scared of this guy and not friendly with this guy. But it's interesting, a little side note, that there are seven centurions mentioned in the New Testament. And all of them are presented in a favorable light. Isn't that interesting? That there are seven centurions mentioned in the New Testament. And all of them are presented in a favorable light. Now, it could possibly be as well that some of these centurions were not Roman. Uh, There were others that could join the Roman army. But they certainly would have been Roman in in the way that they thought and went about their work. And this man was a a man in authority over a hundred others. But these Jewish elders went to Jesus and petitioned him to help the centurion because they said, he is worthy to have you do this for him. Isn't that great? You know, he's worthy to have you do this for him. These Jewish elders are speaking well of a Gentile member of the occupying force. That's just a bit bizarre in and of itself, isn't it? But there they are. Jesus, he deserves for you to do this for him he's worthy to have you do this for him and they would go on to say in verse five about the centurion for he loves our nation and he's the one who built our synagogue for us again just amazing here is a roman officer a centurion in charge of these hundred men probably there to keep the peace and everything working for the Romans, despised mainly probably by most of the Jews, but here we find someone who's sympathetic to the nation in which he is is positioned. He loves our nation, and he's the one who built our synagogue for us. He loves our nation. How strange. It could have been that the centurion was um, what's sometimes termed a God-fearer. A God-fearer could be um, a person, a Gentile sympathetic to to Judaism who possibly maybe even practiced elements of the religion without becoming fully a convert to Judaism so he could have been a God-fearer but it says uh, they said of him he loves our nation he loves Israel and friends I want to suggest that we should too we should too not that that means we agree with every decision that Israel makes uh, in these days or every policy that it has um, but we love the nation as a covenant people of God now we ain't not got time to get beaten to a big debate tonight about replacement theology and you know some people believe the church has replaced Israel and Israel's just out of the picture but I don't see that in scripture I see that God still has a plan and a purpose for his people Israel and those covenants hold because he's a God who makes covenants and keeps his covenants and here we find this, this Gentile, this Roman soldier, this Roman officer, who loves the nation of Israel. You know, it's the Jewish nation that gave us our saviour, the one we've been singing about tonight. Psalm 122, 122, verse 6, says that we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, May they be secure, who love you. That's in the ESV, in the New King James Version, uh, similarly Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. We are to love Israel. They said in verse 4, it says in verse 4, He's worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, verse 5, and he's the one who built us our synagogue. I'm assuming he didn't build that synagogue personally. Um, You know, maybe had other guys that did it, but he was the one that maybe gave authority to that to happen. And so not only does he love the nation and say he maybe loves the nation, he demonstrates that by doing something for them. God blesses and prospers those who love Israel and do something practically to help them. And I think they are God's people. And we're blessed as the church and, uh, you know, we're engrafted in, aren't we, to, to Israel. And we are the people of God. We're all the people of God. We all come to God the same way through the Lord Jesus Christ. That were Jew or Gentile, but we find that this centurion loves the nation and did something for them in building that synagogue. Now I want us to consider three things we do well to imitate from the life of this centurion and the things that we understand of him in this text tonight. The first thing is this: that he had a high view of Jesus. He had a high view of Jesus. In verse 7. It says, uh, it has the centurion saying to Jesus, but say the word and let my servant be healed. But say the word and let my servant be healed. He had a high view of Jesus. The centurion believed that all that was needed for his servant to be healed was for Jesus to say a word. He had faith in Christ. And again, that's the same Christ we have. That we can believe that we just say, Jesus, I just know if you say the word. I don't, I, as I come to you, Jesus, with my problems, with my issues, with my loved ones, whatever it might be. I know, Lord, you can just say the word and they'll be healed. Say the word and it will be dealt with. Or oh, that we would have that kind of faith in the Lord Jesus. To have this high view of Jesus. That he's God incarnate all things are possible with him and through him. Here in this uh, story, we have a man of authority. A man that commands a hundred. A man who says to someone, go and they go. He says to someone, come and they come. He says to someone, do that and they do that. A man who might say to someone, I want you to jump and they ask, how high? They, They do what he says. A man who has control But also a man that has a situation that he has no control over. A servant, very sick and about to die. And how difficult that must be. You know, one of the things I think we we find uh, really difficult as believers sometimes, especially if, if you're a little bit of a control freak like me, is that when you're in control, everything's good. But when you're faced with situations you can't control, that's when it's difficult for you, isn't it? But there's lots of things in our life we can't control. We, we heard Jez, if you were here this morning, Jez was speaking this morning about you know, us not being in control. And, you know, everything's a risk. You know, we don't know how long we've got to live. We, 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 just, we should just go for it. He was basically saying this morning, and trust God. But it's when you're not in control. And here's a man who's in control. He's in control of other people. He's in control of what they do. He's maybe very contr- in control of his own life. And then he's faced with a situation he can't control. So what do we do when we're in a situation that we cannot control? Well, I think there are three things we can do. We can deny, we can try, or we can cry. We can deny, we can try, or we can cry. We can deny that we're not in control and believe we are. And so we try and control the situation. But we know really we're not in control of the situation. We can try and remain in control of the situation. So we, we, we just sort of try and think we can fix it. We can sort it out. We can do the best we can. Or we can cry out to the one who ultimately has control. And that's the Lord Jesus. And this centurion, with all his power, with all these men under him, finds a situation he has no control over. So what does he do? He goes to Jesus. And friends, that's what we've got to do. When there are situations in our life we have no control over, we need to stop trying to control that and stop trying to fix things ourselves and say, Lord, I just throw myself to you. Lord Jesus, I know you just have to say the word and it will be dealt with. And wouldn't it be great if we saw that happen? But you know what What, uh, what the centurion had here was a great faith in Jesus the centurion has authority, but with his servant's situation, he has no authority. You know, I was, um, I was speaking to some people recently, and speaking to Roger Caswell recently. He's got a real thing on his heart at the moment about prodigals. That is, you know, loved ones, children, grandchildren, people, family members who have just wandered away from the faith and just wanting to gather them back, and You know, we we might think because they're our children or our grandchildren, we have a certain amount of authority over them. You know, we can can say things into their life and stuff like that and try and help them. Um, But actually, we realize sometimes that actually I have no authority over them and nothing I can say or do can fix that situation. I need to give them to the one who has the authority to do something about that, the one who can draw them back. The one that can turn them around. The one that can fix their thinking. The one that has their eternal destiny in his hand. And we come to the Lord Jesus. And what we find in this centurion is someone who couldn't do uh, the thing he needed doing. So he came to Jesus. We need to go to Jesus. This is what the centurion did. He knew the limitations of his authority and went to the one with the power and the authority to answer his request. Friends, I just wonder sometimes whether we we just don't have that kind of faith in Christ. Uh, You know, whether we we say we have, but we don't really. You know, we we say, I know Jesus can heal, but when I pray, I don't really believe he's going to. You know, I I know Jesus can bring my loved one back, um, but I don't really believe he's going to. You know, I, I really know that my, my God can deal with this really difficult situation I've got in my life. But I don't really think it's going to happen. And we resign ourselves to things are just are as they are. And we're going to go on like that. Friends, that's not how God wants us to think. That's how we can think. We become rational about everything. Reason everything. out. I'm a, bit, a little bit like that. You become a little bit fatalistic. You, you begin to think, well, that's how it is. So that's how it will be. But no, he doesn't have to be, does it? Because we've got a God that can turn people's lives around. He can change minds and change hearts. Only he can bring the dead alive. And he wants to do that. Do we have a high view of Jesus? Do we have a big God with a big G? Or do we have a little God with a little G? You know, who are we following? And if we really believe scripture, we should have a high view of God, high view of the Lord Jesus. The second thing that this centurion had, he had a high view of Jesus, but he also had a low view of himself, a low view of himself. In verse 6, he says this, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. It reminded me of, um, when I read that, it reminded me of Peter's response, you know, with the miraculous catch of fish. I think it's in Luke 5, where Peter said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know, sort of actually being in front of Jesus shows you who you truly are. You get a a real proper view of yourself and you see that you have a high view of him and a low view of yourself. But it's not cool in the church today to have a low view of yourself, to describe ourselves as miserable, lowly sinners. That's, That's not cool. Long gone are words like these from the great hymn. Guide me, O thou great Redeemer, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Now we are fed the the line now that we are to be victorious. Uh, We are overcomers. We are destined to reign. What's happened, I think, is we end up having a high view of ourselves and a low view of God because it's all about me. It's all about me. And I can deal with everything because it's all about me. It's the wrong way around, friends. This is a quote from one of the most influential Christian leaders on the planet in these days. He said this recently. God will not share his glory with another, but you are not another. I want you to think about that for a moment. God will not share his glory with another, but you are not another. And obviously, he's saying there that we are, we are like God. We, we are, or in his theology, we are like little gods. No, we're not. God is God. Where's creation. He loves us. We're lifted up in high places in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have great value before him. But he is God, and we need to have a high view of him and a low view of ourselves. All that we are is because of Christ. Nothing in and of ourselves. What about when Isaiah met the Lord in Isaiah 6? He said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. To see God as he truly is, to be confronted with Christ, shows us who we truly are. And in that we see our great need of him, and we throw ourselves on his mercy. And we put our faith in him. It's only when we have a high view of God and a low view of ourselves. Only then will we praise God for such a wonderful salvation. Because we think it's something to do with us. We think, well, God loves me because, you know, I'm quite a good person really. You know, I do lots of good things. It's just a nonsense. It's a nonsense. We throw ourselves on Christ. It's interesting to note that our text says that the Jewish elders told Jesus that the centurion was worthy of Jesus' help. But then the centurion views himself as unworthy of having Jesus visit him. So the elders say, well, he's worthy of your help. And then the centurion said, well, actually, I'm unworthy of your help. I'm unworthy of you actually visiting my house. He saw himself in a right way before the Lord Jesus. His love view of himself, despite his high station in life, brought him to a place where he needed Jesus. And sometimes I think that, you know, the Lord allows us to go through, go through things, difficult things, prolonged things sometimes. So we get to a place where we just have to cry out on the Lord Jesus. And we just say, Lord, I just can't deal with it. Lord, I, I, I can't answer it i can't fix it lord i need you i need you so the bible tells us god gives grace to the humble but rejects the proud i saw a really interesting um uh discussion thing this this past week you know i'm always going to get a cult this message in everything that i say but um i watched this thing and it, it was um A guy called Dr. James White, who's a sort of eminent apologist, American apologist, very, very clever man. And a guy called Jeff Durbin, also a very clever guy, does apologetics. And this young Mormon guy who took on the challenge of sitting with these guys to discuss stuff. And this, like, 19-year-old Mormon sort of guy uh, was coming out with all this stuff. And he was basically saying to James White and Jeff Durbin, and he mentioned the reformers in his talk as well, None of you know how to understand the Bible. 19-year-old Mormon kid. And, you know, I thought, you're just so arrogant. You, you clearly do not know what you are talking about. And I felt really sad for him. But, you know, there's a lot of people who are proud, and, and intellectualism can make somebody proud. It can be very clever. You know, it can, be, it can be all about what I do and all this kind of stuff. None of that impresses God. None of that. We need to be humble before him. He rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here you have a centurion who you might have thought was quite proud of his position in life and the authority that he had humbles himself to come to Christ on behalf of his servant.